Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. chapter number 35, Genesis chapter number 35, let's remember tonight's service, let's be here in the house of the Lord early for prayer, choir practice will be at uh, 4.30 tonight as they are preparing for Easter, so let's come a little bit earlier than norm and, and let's practice and get things prepared for our Easter services. Genesis chapter 35, And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God, that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, and that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. I want you to look at verse 1 again. And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel. And if we just read that particular statement, we would think that maybe this was the first time that Jacob had ever been to Bethel or visited this place. But as you read on, you understand that God's asking him to revisit a place that he had been to before and dwell there and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. I want you to go back to that place. I want you to return to that place. I know that this subject or this particular passage of Scripture has been ministered on many times before, but this is just what I feel very strong here this morning, and I want to be obedient to God. I want to, I want to preach, arise and go up to Bethel. Arise and go up to Bethel. Praise the Lord. Would you pray with me that the Lord would help us here today and his strength would be here, his anointing would be here, the touch of his spirit would be here. Let me hear you pray, church. Let's reach up and touch God for a moment. We need the help and the strength of the Holy Ghost today. Without you, we're nothing. 
We understand, God, our role here this morning. We understand, God, we need the anointing of the Holy Ghost to be able to fulfill that role. We thank you, God, that you visit us, that you help us, you bless, and you strengthen us. And we're asking you to do it again today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Would you clap your hands to him again? Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. I want to begin by saying that this particular place that Jacob had named Bethel, we know that it was originally named Luz in the land of Canaan, but the name of that place was changed because of the experience that Jacob had had in Genesis chapter 28 with God. He renamed that place Bethel meaning the house of God. Can I tell you that I realize the significance and the importance of a church house, a sanctuary, a place of worship that we come and convene on a regular basis. But can I tell you, when you get desperate enough and you may not have the opportunity to get to this particular address and this location, that you can find the presence of the Lord anywhere, And God will help you and touch you at your point of need if you have faith in him. And we see this illustrated very vividly in the life of Jacob on not just one occasion, but several occasions when he found himself in a very desperate way. And he needed God to intervene. He needed God's help. And when he cried unto the Lord, God was faithful. God was just in reaching to him and helping him in his need, in his situation of life. In Genesis chapter 28, he had been to this particular location before, and it was there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau originally, when he had received the birthright by hook and crook. And though God loved some particular attributes about Jacob, there were some things that he did not approve of, in Jacob's life, and there were some areas that God wanted to change about Jacob's character. And it was there in this place alone, alone. Can I tell you that sometimes God's got to get us out of the crowd. He has to get us away from the multitude. He has to get us alone so that he can speak to us. And all by himself, separated from the family, his mother that he loved, His father had now uh, passed away and he knew that his brother was going to be hot on his heels and it was there in this wilderness place alone that he arranged some stones to lay down to find a place to rest, to sleep for the night and it was there that God visited him and he received a dream from the Lord and in that dream he saw He saw a ladder that stretched up into the heavens and there were angels that were ascending and descending, the scripture says, upon that ladder. And after this dream concluded, he knew that it was a dream from the Lord. And he stood up not knowing that God would visit him in such a place, not knowing that this particular night he would have a rendezvous with God. He makes this profound statement. He said, surely the Lord was in this place. 
and I knew it not. I can't help but wonder if uh, he was not meaning it this way. Had I known that I was going to meet the Lord here, had I known that this was the place that I could find him, had I known earlier that this was the place that I could, could have a visitation from God, I would have came to this place a long time ago. For surely the Lord was in this place, and I knew it not. I want to be able to recognize the presence of God. I want to be able to be sensitive enough to hear the voice of the Lord. I often pray, God, unstop these ears from any carnality that would help me uh, or would rather hinder me from hearing the voice of God. Help these eyes, the carnal scales, to fall off of them so that I can see everything that you want me to see. Help my sense of feel and touch to be so very sensitive that I could feel the brush uh, of your presence and your touch and that I would, not, I would not be calloused in my feelings, but I would be able to know your presence and know that you are near. I don't want to be as Jacob. Surely the Lord was here and I didn't know it. I, I don't want to come to a place and say, surely the Lord visited that place and I, I didn't even recognize it. I wasn't aware of it. But God, help us to be cognizant of the fact that you are here in this house this morning. I think that's one of the things that we always have to guard against as frequent church uh, visitors and people that come to the house of God on a regular basis is that we become casual about coming to the house of God. And we don't recognize, hey, the presence of God is here. We're worshiping the one true living God. And because he's alive and he's in this place, help me to perk up and realize that in this house and in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. You couldn't tell by looking at some of us this morning that this is a place of joy. You couldn't tell by looking at some of us this morning that this is a place that you can be happy. Amen. We need to paste a smile on our face and realize the presence of the Lord is in this house. And in his presence is fullness of joy. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I'm thankful to be in God's presence today. I'm thankful to be in this house. And after this visitation, the scripture says that he arranged those stones. He built up a memorial. And he, he said there's something very special about this particular locale. There's something very special about this place. He said no longer is this place going to follow the name that was given it by heathens that didn't recognize God. Canaanites that that didn't worship the true and living God. He said, but I'm going to rename it something because this place is significant to me. He said, it was called Luz, but from this moment on, I'm going to call the name of it Bethel, meaning the house of God. We understand from that moment that, that Jacob went on in his life. He later found his way down to Laban's house and there his eyes fell on the first time on that young lady, the daughter of Laban, Rachel, and he fell in love. And you know the story of how that he worked for seven years for her and then he was given Leah, 
because Laban said it's the custom that we give the older before the younger. And then he worked seven more years so that he could receive Rachel. And so 14 years he he was there in the household of Laban working and toiling for him. But even there God blessed him. He raised up a mighty herd and and God increased him and, and God blessed his his belongings and God made him wealthy. And uh, it was during this time that this experience that he had had at Bethel, uh, you, you see as it begins to fade from the memory and the consciousness of Jacob. How do I know that? I can tell it by his actions. I can tell it by the way that he's living his life. He's more focused on He's more focused on material things. He's more focused on things that don't matter as much. He's not so focused on eternal things as he once was. He's living a pretty good life. The day comes that he wants to leave Laban's household and he knows that Laban's not going to let him go without a struggle. So he goes out out of the cloak of deception He finds his way back out of the wilderness. And now Laban is also pursuing him along with his brother who has this old score to settle with him, Esau. And so he's between a rock and a hard place again. He has Esau on one side and Laban on the other. And he doesn't know what in the world that he's going to do. And suddenly... It's in this particular situation that he has another visitation from God. And he wrestles with a man. Uh, We know that this, in my belief, is a theophany. It was an angel of the Lord, but the Bible also said that he struggled with God. And it was God in, in a physical body that he was wrestling with and struggling with. And we understand that this struggle reached throughout the night. And after so long of struggling, the day was getting ready to break. The angel speaks to him and says, uh, what is it that you desire? I realize that you're not going to let me go. And he said, I will not until you bless me. I know that I need more than just a visitation. I need more than just to say that you came to me and you spoke with me, but I need you to do something within me. Can I tell you that there's times in our lives that we need more than just to come to church, but we need to have church. We need a church to change us. We need something to be transformed within our hearts. We need God to do something deep down within us. And this was the situation that Jacob was in. And we know that the Lord spoke to him and said, Your name has been Jacob, which we know meant surmiser. It meant uh, trickster, deceiver, all of those things that were bad. And he had pretty much lived out that lifestyle and that name. But the Lord spoke to him and said, Your name from this moment is going to be called uh, Israel, a prince having power with God. I'm going to give you authority over things that you never had authority over. I'm going to give you victory over things that you never could get victory over. I'm going to let you stand upon top of things that used to weight you down and used to pressure you and used to hinder you in your walk with God. But as powerful as that visitation was, we also understand that still uh, 
we understand that uh, he, he, he begins, he has this tendency of all flesh, and that is to begin to drift away and, and to become carnal and to go back into the old routines of the flesh and always just trying to maybe just get by and get along and not being nearly as passionate about the things of God as he was just after such visitations from the Lord. Can I tell you that if we go back in our own lives, down memory lane, all of us experience the same tendency. You remember when you first got the Holy Ghost? You remember the joy of the Lord that flooded your soul? You remember what a powerful experience in God it was? How thrilled you were, how excited you were, how enthused you were that God would would include you, that he would fill you with the Spirit of the Lord, that he would change your life, that he would forgive you of your sins. Oh, what joy. You wanted to tell people about what God had done. You wanted to always come to the house of God and express your thanks and appreciation for what God had done. Nobody had to lean on you very hard to praise the Lord. The preacher didn't have to say the right little cliche to get you on your feet to clap your hands. Amen. When the singer sang, you were looking for the chance and the opportunity to give thanksgiving unto God because it was fresh on your mind, upon your consciousness, all that God had done and all that he had saved you from. How good and how merciful, how gracious God had been in your life. But just like Jacob, we had the tendency of getting cold. We had the tendency of becoming insensitive. We had the tendency of taking things for granted. We had the tendency, amen, of getting removed and becoming austere to the presence of God. We, we sometimes get so preoccupied with the things of this world, so focused on temporal things that the Bible clearly says that the moths and dust is going to destroy and is going to wither away with this earth. Amen. The Bible said that it's all going to melt with a fervent heat in the last days. There's nothing in this world that is worth giving up eternity with God for. There's nothing in this world that should take precedence over our relationship with God. This should be our focus. This should be our lives. This should be our passion. Hallelujah. There's people that are caught up in things that are frivolous. They're trivial. When you put them and compare them to the things of God, it really doesn't even make sense that we would waste our time on it. I'm thinking about this particular time of the year in the sports world. It's called March Madness. You hear it just about everywhere you go. You see it on the newspaper. It's in the news on the radio. You hear about March Madness. People, people or asphyxiated with this stuff. Amen. Trying to predict who is going to win. Let me tell you, I don't have to predict who's going to win this fight that we're involved in. I already know who the winner is. It's not a gamble to give your life to God. It's not a bet to give your life to God. It's not a wager to give your life to God. Amen. But when you, when you 
put in with the Lord, when you give your life and dedicate yourself unto God, amen, you're on the winning side. You can have victory all the time. You don't have to be downtrodden. You don't have to be wondering what's going to happen from day to day. But you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. If you believe that, you ought to clap your hands and praise the Lord. People in this world can get excited over such small things that they're going to forget next month. I know March is March madness. Amen. But April rolls around and they forget all about it. And they move on in life. People can't even remember who won the Super Bowl last time. Amen. And it really doesn't even matter. Trophies are going to sit around and collect dust. People are going to forget it and move on with their lives. But this that I'm preaching about today is far more important it's an exceeding more important thing and that is eternity and where we're going to spend an eternity with or without God Jacob you better wake up and realize sir it doesn't matter how much you build up your herd it doesn't matter what kind of tent that you live in it doesn't matter how much land that you possess it doesn't matter how much money or materialism that you accumulate when it's all said and done it's going to melt with a fervent heat and the only thing that's going to matter to you is your relationship with God hallelujah praise the Lord praise the Lord I'm astonished at how that even when I read this story how that Jacob's blessings almost became a curse to him yeah he began to pick up things along the journey that he didn't need that were encumbersome to him that were hindrances to his walk with God, that were keeping him from really giving everything and being all that he could be for God. Isn't that so true with every one of us? It's so true with every one of us. We pick up things along the way, unintentionally sometimes, in innocency many times. As we're journeying, and we all are on a journey, the Bible calls us pilgrims. Amen. We're, we're not here as, as this is our final staying place. We're moving through this life. Psalmist said four score and ten. Sixty plus ten, that's seventy. Four score and ten. Or three score and ten. And, and it's over with. It's gone. And, and, and life is over. And I know by the matter of strength, we get some more many times, the Bible says. And I'm thankful, but uh, you're, living, you're living by reason of strength. You're living by the blessings of God. And uh, we know that even if a person lives what is considered to be a very long life in this world, it's very short in comparison with eternity. When you consider eternity and the length that a thousand years is just the batting of an eye, it's not even a mark on the time clock. Then a million years, and we're not even getting started. We're talking about eternity. Eternity. And sometimes we get so caught up in time. We get so caught up in what's happening in this world. I wish some way we could get God's view of things because we understand that God stands out of time and He stands in eternity. And He views things different than the way we do. He sees things different than how we do. 
We see everything on this linear line of, of time. And, and, and we see everything as marks and hash marks of time. And we put everything in, you know, 18 years you get out of high school, 18 years old. And a little while longer, you, you, you start your career and you get married. And then 25-year anniversary and 35-year anniversary and 50-year anniversary. And then you're retired. And then, but I'm going to tell you, when, when you're talking in God's terms and in God's world, it's not like that. I said it's not like that. Amen. We need to think in terms of eternity. We need to think in terms of the way that God wants us to consider things here today. When I examine this story, I find that there were things that Jacob did and there were things that God did. And I want to talk about that here for just a few moments. First of all, he obeyed the voice of God when God called him. When God beckoned him to go back to Bethel, he was obedient to that voice. When God deals with our hearts, when God stirs our soul. I wonder how do we respond? I wonder how do we react to it? What is it that we do? Are we totally yielded to God as we need to be and the voice of God as we should be? I notice in our church services, it's so important that we realize that altar service is not just the conclusion where we can move on in our thinking to what's going to be for lunch or what's going to happen when this is over with. If you knew this was the last service that you was going to have, the last visitation from God that you was going to be able to be a part of, I wonder what our attitude towards this service would be. Would we come and just stand casually around the altar and, and uh, look around and, and kind of yawn and, and uh, wait until it's over with, or would we get earnest before the Lord? I'm preaching to you here today. I wonder if we couldn't fire up these altar services. I wonder if we couldn't get more passionate about prayer around these altars. I wonder instead of just coming and standing around with a cavalier attitude, we could come down to this altar and people would bend knees and cry out to God and, and, and let tears bathe their cheeks again. How long has it been since you wept in the presence of the Lord? How long has it been since you felt that soul cleansing uh, presence of God come down and visit you? You know, there's something good about getting in the presence of the Lord and just weeping, feeling after Him. There's something cleansing about that. There's something that washes through you when that happens. When you open up your heart to that, there's something that takes place that cannot take place any other way. Hallelujah. When a visit from God comes, we should not try to hurry God. Amen. He's such a, a, a precious guest. He, he, he should be the focal point of everything we're doing. And when he comes, when he chooses to come down and touch us and minister to us, we should say, God, uh, I want to yield to you as long as you're here. I want to surrender to you as long as you're here. Not my will, but yours be done. God, I'm not going to try to hurry you so that I could go out and make some appointment, but God, I need you to touch my life because I want to be changed. 
anybody hear me today? I want to be obedient to the voice of God. I want to hear when he says go back to Bethel. I don't want to hesitate. When he said it's time to come to the altar and pray, I don't want to hesitate. I don't want to say I got other things to do. I'm not ready now. Oh no, God, I wipe out my appointment book. I wipe out my schedule. Come on, church. We only have a certain amount of time. We only have a limited amount of time of services. Amen. Come on now. Let's don't schedule things up so tight that we schedule God out of the program, that we schedule God out of the church and what he wants to do. But we want him to visit us. And if we want him to visit us, we can't grieve him. Have you ever went somewhere and felt unwelcome? You're, you're very reluctant to visit that place again. If you go into a restaurant and you feel like that they don't want to serve you, you usually don't go back. If you go into a person's home and you feel like you're unwanted, you don't want to go back. The Bible says that he did not many miracles in Nazareth because of their unbelief. But he went to other places where he was wanted and did great things and brought great, mighty miracles to them. God, I want the miracles. Don't look some other place. But God, visit us here. Not only did he obey the voice of God, but he built an altar. He built an altar. You can tell a lot about the climate, uh, spiritual climate of, of, of those peoples of the Old Testament by the altars that they were building and where they were building and when they were building and how frequent they were building them. And when you see the absence of them building altars, you find that there's a drift that takes place. Abraham was an altar builder. Therefore, God continued to bless and continued to reinstate his promise unto Abraham. And each time he built an altar, he reinstated that promise that this is what I'm going to do. If you're doubtful in your mind and, and maybe unbelief has tried to settle in and, and tried to steal, steal away that promise that God has given. I'll tell you what you do. You get back down to an altar and God will reestablish that, that covenant with you. He'll reestablish that promise. You can get that confidence back that God is going to work and God is going to come through and God is going to make a way and God is going to send revival to my family and God is going to heal and God is going to deliver. But you got to build an altar, and sometimes it takes effort to build an altar. And an altar, once you get it built, is uncomfortable because it has lumps of consecration on it. It has hard places of conviction in it. Amen. But you got to have an altar if you're going to be saved. And that's where God wants to meet you, as at the altar. You should not allow the altar to become a strange place, an infrequented place, a place that you don't visit anymore. But let the altar be a place that is familiar familiar to you. Let the altar be a place that you love to get back to. Let the altar be a place where God can deal with your heart. And stay on that altar until something changes in your life. I'm concerned about people that can visit the altar time and time again, but the altar and the visitation from God doesn't alter anything. Amen? It doesn't change anything. We get just enough to feel better and to go on, but we don't change. An altar is a place where repentance takes place. An altar is a place where tears 
are crying. An altar is a place where you pour your heart out and empty yourself. And that's what he said I want you to do when you build an altar. He said, I want you, and this is my third point, he said, I want you to put away strange gods. Now, I realize that we're not carrying gods around necessarily that are carved out of stone and wood in our day. We don't have them in our home. We don't carry them around with us. We don't have them in our vehicles today. We don't have the same type of idolatry, but we still have idolatry in America. I'll tell you the biggest problem we have with idolatry in America is none other than our own flesh. We have such things as American Idol, which is a display of flesh from what I understand. We have, uh, we have idolatry in worshiping ourselves and our own wants, our own desires, and carnality and our own whims and wants have become our God if we're not careful. And we feed that God from day to day. Is this preaching all right here this morning? Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost, and that's all I know how to do is just follow the Holy Ghost. But we cannot just feed our flesh and not ever take time to nurture our spiritual man. Come on, sometimes we leave that spiritual man a dried up, hide stretched over bones individual that, that is dried up because of inattention. You gotta feed that spiritual man with the word of God. You gotta feed that spiritual man with the preaching of God. That's why you need church. Amen. I'm overly, I can't tell you how concerned I am about some people with their attitude towards the house of God and coming to the house. If some of them are not here this morning do they call do they text do they tell the reasons why many times no I don't understand that I don't get that I don't know why there's not a love and a passion if there ever needed to be there needs to be a love and a passion for the house of God and if you're the parents of some of those uh, amen that have that casual attitude towards the church you better wake up and get on your prayer bones uh, because whether or not you realize it the devil is reaching he's trying to destroy He's trying to separate from the house of God. You better stand up and fight and realize, amen, that hell wants that home. Hell wants that family. But I'm not going to allow it to happen in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Is anybody with me here this morning? Anybody realize the importance of being faithful to the house of God? Put away those strange God. Put away those hindrances. You know what a strange God is? It's anything that separates you from the presence of the Lord. Anything. You know what an idol is? It's anything that means more to you than serving God. That's what an idol is. Anything that you would worship more than you would worship God. That's what an idol is. God, I want to tear down the idols in my life and serve you. But I showed you some things that Jacob did. Let me show you some things that God did for Jacob. Because anything we do, he said, if you'll draw nigh unto me, what? I'll draw nigh unto you. In other words, anything you do. He said, you sit down at the table and sup with me. He said, anything you put on the table, you put prayer on the table, I'll take it. You put worship on the table, I'll take it. You put, you put consecration on the table, I'll take it. You put commitment on the table, I'll take it. You put, 
you put love for me on the table, I'll receive it. And when I get done, we're going to turn this table around. I'll sup with you and you'll sup with me. I'll give back to you strength. I'll give back to you the, the power that you need and the victory that you need to overcome the enemy. I'll give you renewal. I'll give you refreshing. I'll give you revival. It's not just about what you give to God, but he always gives back more to you. He said, if you'll sup with me, I'll sup with you. In other words, I'll give something back to you. With Jacob, amen, the Bible said that he made a way for him. He made a way for him. He put terror upon the cities and the towns and the enemies that were around about that would try to block and try to hinder Jacob's return to the house of God. Can I tell you that God wants to remove all the roadblocks that would hinder you returning to his presence he wants to remove all the, the things that would try to stop you. All the voices that says you can't do it. You can't live for God. You can't ever get over this. You can never become anything for the Lord. You went too far. You've gone too long. Amen. Without the presence of God. Can I tell you that God wants to visit you and because he's calling you as evidence that he loves you and that he wants to save you because he's called you is evidence that he's reaching for you. And he'll put terror in your enemies. I said he'll put terror and fear in the hearts of your enemies so that you can have a clear way to an altar. You can have a clear way back to Bethel. You can have a clear path back to the house of God, back into the presence of the Lord. That's how good God is. He said, clear out the way, devil. You're not going to stop them. You're not going to hinder them. You're not going to keep them. You're not going to hold them back. If they want to serve me, they can serve me. I'm going to tell you, there's not a devil big enough. Uh, there's not an imp in hell that can hinder you. If you really desire to serve God, you can serve God. You can live for God. You can do the will of God. You can please God. God will make a way. God will make a way for you. And when God get, got, when, when Jacob got there, God didn't stand up and cross his arms and said, I'm going to see how sincere he is. But the Bible says that God appeared unto him. He appeared when you get here. Amen. When you've got a repentant heart and you make your way, God clears the way for you. When you get there, you're going to find he's been waiting on you. You're going to find that he's already there. You're going to find out that he's got his arms stretched out, ready to receive you, ready to help you, ready to restore, ready, God. He wants to do a work in your life. He appeared to him. Then musicians would come. The Bible said, not only did he appear to him, but he reminded him of a few things. You see, it's been a long time since De Jacob had heard these things. Had they been recounted to him? God began to tell him, I made some promises to your great-grandfather Abraham. And they extended down to Isaac. And I, I want you to remember that I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and yeah, you, Jacob. And every promise that's not been fulfilled is still riding on you. 
It's still here for you. I still want to do it for you. I still want to bless you. I still want to help you. I still want to save you. I want to make you great. I want to give revival to your offspring. I want you to be anointed. I want you to be blessed. I believe that there's some folks in this house that if you'll hear the call of God, respond to it today. God will make a path to this altar. God will open up a way for you to get here. He'll make a way.